For our scripture reading today, we are reading in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I will read verse 1 and we will read verse 2 together on down through verse 5. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to say how encouraged I was to see some of you in prayer meeting on Wednesday night. It's been encouraging to meet together. I don't think anything has encouraged me more during my time here than the encouragement of those coming to prayer meeting and participating in praying. It's been a great blessing. Another great blessing to me today is the presence of Randy and Janet Egolf from Limerick Chapel, right down here in the front. And uh, had the privilege of serving with these folks for three decades. And uh, Randy is a faithful elder, men's leader, and Bible teacher uh, there at Limerick Chapel. And uh, Janet has been faithful in the music and ladies' ministry of the chapel. And they have the privilege of having uh, children on the mission field and grandchildren serving the Lord. And they have been such a great uh, blessing to me. Uh, Their one daughter and her husband and children served 10 years in Sweden and became uh, very uh, able to communicate the gospel in the Swedish language. And then the government uh, kicked them out. They were deported. And uh, they thought, where are we going to go? And the Lord opened a door in Puerto Rico. So a new language, a new temperature. And... uh, and they got there just some time before the hurricane devastated everything. They have remained there through that and used that as an opportunity to reach out. Uh, these are folks that have always been a blessing to Diane and I. Uh, they had a very open home and invited some very needy people to live with them down over through the years and have been such a blessing. They have been missionaries in Limerick and now their children are continuing to minister for the Lord. And what a blessing. So it's, uh, they're on vacation, and I think Randy's going to dig diamonds out in the mountains or something. I don't know, gem hunting, I don't know. But they visited the Military Christian Center over in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and now are crossing the state, so it's great to have them with me today. Great encouragement. Lots of good stuff. Uh, before I preach, I want to ask you a question. How many of you believe that there are lies in the Bible? Would you raise your hand, please? I'm raising mine. 
You say, I don't know, this is one of these preacherish things you're going to get us into here. There are lies in the Bible. Yeah, there are. How about, you shall not die? Was that a lie? Yeah. The Bible accurately, truly records many lies. Okay? It, it tells a lot of lies, but it identifies them as such. You see, the Bible is not a merely positive book. It is both positive and negative. And anyone who's going to preach this book that says, I'm only going to be positive, is going to miss about half of it. Right? I mean, if, what if your car battery only had a positive terminal? Would you have gotten here today? No, it wouldn't have started. You need positive and negative. And the Bible has both positive and negative, but it tells the truth about the devil and demons and the doctrines of demons. We're going to look at four of those lies today. And we're going to see what God's truth is in regard to these practical everyday issues. We need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So would you join me in prayer? Father, as we come to you today, uh, we need to know your truth about the massive lies that are so prevalent in our world today, accepted by so many, and yet contrary to your truth. So guide us, Lord, that we may understand the danger of the doctrines of demons. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 5 today. And I introduce it by framing it with verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you, he's talking to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. He says, point out these things. What things? The things we're going to look at today. He said, Timothy, if you point these things out, you'll be a faithful pastor. You see, the importance for a pastor is not so much in pleasing people, although that is the great temptation of pastors. The ultimate faithfulness of a pastor is to please the Lord. Amen? And that means that you tell the ugly truth. Doc, give it to me straight. How many of you ever said that to a doctor? Right? Give it to me straight. Now, we want them to have a bedside manner. We do. But we want the truth, don't we? And so the Apostle Paul speaks to Timothy about lies that people believe. That's why you must study to show yourself approved unto God. Some people use this Bible study method. That's God's will for my life. And Judas went and hanged himself. You know. <laughs> That's not how you find God's will for your life. You need to understand who is speaking the context. Get an understanding of it. 
The Bible is not a book to just pick up and, and do likewise. The Bible records the sins of some of its greatest heroes because the person that the Bible is about is God himself. And the Bible is a record of how people interacted with God's revelation of himself down through history. And so don't imitate every person in the Bible. Some of them did some really wrong, stupid, and ugly things. It's about God, about his perfect righteousness, about his wonderful salvation. The Bible is essentially about God. As we look at this text, he's transitioning from the mystery of godliness. So we looked at last week in 3.16, the mystery of godliness, which is Christ in you. Christ is the mystery of godliness. There is no godliness without Christ in us because we can't do it by ourselves. Amen? We need to stop trusting ourselves and trust in Christ to be saved and to live the Christian life. The mystery of godliness is Christ. And now he pivots in chapter 4 and verse 1, but he's pivoting, he's contrasting to the hymn about Christ in 3.16. And he says, the Spirit explicitly says. This is something that he's saying, this is the Spirit of God that is speaking what I'm going to tell you now, this is an unmistakable truth in both the Old and New Testaments. The prophet Moses warned against false prophets. In Deuteronomy, he gave the test of the prophets. He says, if someone comes and says, I am speaking for God, this is God's word, thus says the Lord. And anything that he predicts doesn't come to pass... He's a false prophet, and the Jewish nation under its laws was to stone him to death. The idea that today some people have that prophecies can be kind of true and still be from God is not true. The, the test of a prophet is at 100% accuracy, but Moses warned against false prophets, and they are mentioned in the Old Testament many times. Jesus warned against false prophets. In fact, he said that one of the signs of the times of the end of the age before his return for us would be the proliferation of false prophets and false teachers who would show miraculous signs and wonders seemingly to authenticate their false doctrine, perhaps even to the deception of God's chosen people, the elect, saved people. He says you got to be careful. And these are the latter times, the latter times. These are the days prior to the return of Christ to rule and reign, which will be preceded by the rapture of the church. The little book of Jude warns about false teachers. He said, I wanted to talk to you about our common salvation. I wanted to be positive but I had to speak negatively because there are so many counterfeits. How many ever got a counterfeit bill, money, counterfeit money? i never forget Faith Bible Church 
I'm still using illustrations from my previous, previous church, so as not to neglect, uh, make anybody feel negative. But uh, at Faith Bible Church, I'll never forget, in the early days of color copiers, somebody made their own $1 bill and put it in the offering plate. I don't know what the point of that was. What do you do with it, you know? Counterfeits. And counterfeits are often mistaken for the real thing. And that's true in churches today. Maybe you've been searching for a church. Maybe you have traveled and looked for a church. And you say, how do you find the real thing? Well, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're not going to find it. It's like a perfect dollar bill. You have a a, a genuine, if I had one, I'd show it to you. I don't know where my money went. But uh, if I had a genuine dollar bill here, it might be wrinkled, it might be dirty, it might be torn, but it might be authentic and real and good. On the other hand, there might be a real clean and neat one, tidy one, that might be totally counterfeit and absolutely worthless. How do you know the real from the counterfeit in terms of teachers, preachers, and churches. It is incredibly important for you to follow the teachings of the Word of God on this. Why? Because some, what does he say? Some, praise God it's not all, but some will fall away from the faith. They were of us, but they went out from us. Some will fall away from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. And uh, they were in the faith and they left it. Judas is an example of that. When Jesus said to his disciples at Last Supper, one of you shall betray me, they didn't all go, yeah, Judas, what a loser. They didn't. They said, Lord, is it me? Hey, that's a good attitude. Is it me? I think Judas was probably the best of them externally. I bet he worked very hard at looking like the very best disciple. But he was a fraud. He was a fake. He was a hypocrite. Sometimes fake stuff can look better than real stuff. Isn't it weird? You know? AstroTurf can look better than your lawn. You know? But it's not alive. It's not real. Demas has forsaken us, having loved this present world. Hymenaeus and Alexander have already been named in chapter 1 and verse 20 as departing from the faith taught by Christ and the apostles. In fact, all of us are vulnerable. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And if you're sitting here today and saying, well, that never happened to me. I was brought up in the church. Wait a minute. Let he that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. You know, since Adam and Eve, good people have been going bad. Good people have been going bad. There's no guarantee that you get home to glory. Good people can go bad. How do good people go bad? How do people who have been brought up in the church, in Christianity, in the Bible, who have memorized verses in Awana, how do they go bad? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars 
seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 that even Satan parades as an angel of light. The devil is a liar, his demons are liars, and the false teachers are liars. They present themselves as holier than all, as more religious, more spiritual, more righteous than the rest. Which is why the Apostle John writes, test the spirits to see if they are from God. All false religion is demonic in its origin. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 10.19, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 19. In talking about meat offered to idols, he says this, What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers with demons. All false religion is demonic in its origin. You cannot account for the power of Hinduism, the power of Islam, the power of Mormonism without understanding that there is a demonic root and a continual demonic power in religions that deny the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's spectacular. In the 1800s, there was a young man by the name of Joseph Smith up in New York State. He was puzzled about which religion was the correct one. There were a lot of different churches, a lot of different pastors, a lot of different denominations. He didn't know which one to follow. He tells the story how he was out praying by a stream up there near the border of New York and Pennsylvania. I've been to that stream and seen the marker where this took place. He says an angel came to him and told him that all the religions had been corrupted and that he was the person that God had chosen to correct the false religions that had happened to Christianity and and God was going to reveal new things to him. Did an angel appear to Joseph Smith and the founder of Mormonism? I think he did. But I do not think it was one of God's angels. It was a fallen angel. It was a demon. And we see the power of Mormonism today right here in Fuquay, Verena. A false religion where people are following a works righteousness. They believe that after you have done all that you can do, by grace you're saved through faith. It is a works religion, and they're working hard. They have beautiful families. They have strong businesses. They are fine people. They are working hard at becoming good enough to be acceptable by God, but it is a false religion. A man by the name of Muhammad was praying in a cave when he says a jinn came to him. That has nothing to do with alcohol. It's a, a spirit. A spirit appeared to him and began to reveal to him that both Judaism and Christianity were now to be superseded, and that, yes, uh, God had sent Moses and had sent Abraham and sent Jesus, but now all these were to be superseded by Muhammad, the prophet, who was going to be the greatest of all prophets. 
and that this new religion called Islam was revealed by a spirit in a cave to Muhammad. Do I think Muhammad lied about that? I don't. I think a spirit did appear to him, but it was not an angel from God. The power of false religion is spiritual in nature. It is uh, demonic at its root. So we see the supernatural origin and power of false religions. One of the most confusing is Roman Catholicism, which is a strange mixture of biblical faith, and there are Roman Catholics that believe in Christ alone or are saved by grace, and they have wonderful testimonies. They're saved. They're brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. And then there are others that are talking about how, you know, the Virgin Mary appeared to them and said that she was the queen of heaven and, and that they should come to God through her. But the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Confusion, and so many people are confused today on simple things, like the gospel. The gospel is not what we do for God. It is what God has done for us in Christ. He is the God-man who died for our sins on the cross and rose again from the dead. And when we believe in Him, we are saved. Amen? Amen. And if you believe that, you go to heaven when you die, no matter what denomination you are. And if you disbelieve that, you go to hell no matter how righteous and nice and pleasant you are. False religion is deadly. It is destructive. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual witness, we, uh, powers in high places. We find that it is a spiritual warfare. And that's why arguing with people gets you nowhere. Because you're dealing with spiritual beings with demonic doctrines being taught by supernatural powers. So the Ephesian church was being deceived by legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. You say, what's that? Well, we'll get to it. Because just as there is a mystery of godliness, chapter 3 and verse 16, there is also a mystery of iniquity which now works according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. So there are four doctrines of demons identified in these five verses. These are lies introduced by deceiving spirits into the church of Jesus Christ through false teachers who are phonies, who are hypocrites themselves. That's what he says. Can you identify these four demonic lies? We're going to look, take a look at them, and they are listed on the back of your bulletin so you can kind of see how we're going. The first one is the lie that your private life is nobody else's business. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, deceiving. Jesus said Satan is a liar and the father of it. He invented the lie and he is a lie. But we live in a world that says a double life is okay. And what you do in your private life is nobody else's business. 
the hypocrisy of liars. I remember as a college student, I was privileged to go to Washington, D.C. with a group of college students. Uh, They were trying to interest us in a career in politics. And uh, we met with evangelical uh, congressmen and senators. I remember this one senator, who I will not name, just in case you may have voted for him, uh, who assured us that he was a believer in Jesus Christ, and he assured us also that his Christian faith had no effect on his politics. We were supposed to be comforted by that fact. Personally, I believe that a man that can lie to his wife will lie to Congress. I believe that a man who will lie about sex will lie about the law. I believe that who we are in our private life is who we are in our public life. Otherwise, we are hypocrites. And we live in a world of hypocrisy where people argue in public. One's a Democrat, one's a Republican. And then they go drink together at night when it's all over. It's a show. The word hypocrite means to wear a mask. And we have people today that wear masks. They try to present a public persona, but in their private life, it's pretty creepy. When you pick up that political rock called Washington disease, there's a lot of creepy things underneath. We live in a corrupted world. Our culture may look good on the surface, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of creepy things going on underneath. And religious business is that way too. And in many churches, there are leaders who publicly appear to be very holy, very religious, very righteous, but there are really creepy things going on behind the scenes. The man who is now the pastor of Limerick Chapel, Pastor Harris. Uh, I remember when he first came to work with me about seven years ago. He had been there a couple of months, and I remember he said to me, I've been looking for the sin, but I can't find it. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, I just wanted to know what was really going on in this church. I said, well, keep looking, you know, (laughs) find it. But, you know... Now he's the pastor. Be interesting. Yeah, he's even letting me preach. I'm coming there next month. That'll be nice. Well, I'll give a report on my missionary work. I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Now they've been praying for us back there. They've been praying for us like missionaries. Yeah. You know what Roe v. Wade was based on? The Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade? It was based on a perceived right to privacy in the American Constitution. Yes, this privacy issue is incredibly important to us. What is this right to privacy? It involves the compartmentalizing of our lives. There's this compartment and that compartment, and they have nothing to do with each other. And Jesus said, if you have a compartmentalized life where you have a public life and you have a private life that is sinful and corrupt, you are a hypocrite. And Jesus had his strongest words for the hypocrites, didn't he? He intended that his people would be people of integrity, 
who would be the same in the dark as they are in the light, who would be the same in their home as they are in church, who would be the same in their place of employment as they are in uh, the church or wherever ministry they may be involved in. The first lie is that your private life is nobody else's business. But the fact is that things that people do in the most private of their lives have influence on others and corruptive aspects. Praise God for a man like the prodigal son who could say to his father those simple words, I have sinned. Have you ever said those words? I have sinned. I'll tell you, if you've never said them to God, you're not saved yet. If you've never said to him to your husband or wife, <laughs> you've got some catching up to do. Because in church, we sit here and we say, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. And theologically, we believe that. Doctrinally, we believe that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it gets personal when we have done wrong and when we humble ourselves and say, I was wrong, that was a sin, I am wrong, please forgive me. And we say that to those who may have wronged, and we say it to God, against whom all sin is committed. The Pharisees were whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Wow. They looked great on the outside, but they were rotting on the inside. God cares about who we are in our life. It is a false concept. It is a lie of the devil that what you do in private is nobody else's business. It's everybody's business. Hey, how about this as a way to live? I'm going to live in such a way that if everybody knew everything about me, it'd be all right. Is that a good way to live? That's called integrity. The second lie is strict morality is old-fashioned. i got to talk about Limerick Chapel again. I was thinking about it with you folks here today. I remember somebody in the neighborhood of our church, we got talking. They said, you know, the people in the neighborhood around the church that don't go to Limerick Chapel, they have one word for it. What is it? Strict. Strict. That interesting word. It's not a real positive word in today's culture, is it? Strict. Strict. And people that think that God's morality has been replaced by the new morality. How many are old enough to remember the new morality? Yeah. <laughs> it came in in the 60s. Do you remember that? Yeah, everything was different. Because medical science was now so advanced that all the sexually just transmitted diseases were no longer going to be a problem because of all the medical advances. How's that going? How's that going? And unwanted pregnancies were going to be eliminated too because of all these medical advances. How's that going? Maybe not. Maybe God's word is right. Maybe the best way to live is to save sex for marriage and be faithful in the marriage to your one marriage partner. You know, People have the idea that is outmoded. And if you say, you know, really, the one way to make sure you don't get all those diseases is to live by God's plan. 
they think, how old-fashioned. What an old-fashioned idea. Their consciences have been seared with a hot iron. You say, don't, don't you think that would bother them? I remember when a certain president, certain embarrassing details about his sex life came out, and I thought he'll never be reelected after that. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah, he got reelected. You say, well, what would shock Americans today about a leader? Nothing. Nothing. I think our leaders accurately reflect the status of our country morally. I think they do reflect. The fact that there is an external religiosity and morality while what you do in private is nobody's business. And strict morality is just old-fashioned stuff. But it's interesting that everyone has a conscience. Adam and Eve got it, the knowledge of good and evil when they ate of that tree, and every person has a conscience. Every person you witness to has a conscience, and you can appeal to that conscience by reminding them, awakening their conscience with the law of God. Go to the Ten Commandments. Remind them of God's law. So many problems in our society would be solved if people just lived by those Ten Commandments. Amen? It's simple. Whether it's in business or government or whatever it might be. No, strict morality is not old-fashioned. God's rules were given for our good, and they are a blessing. And God not only gave us his rules for our good, but he provided a Savior for when we have broken those rules that we can be forgiven and restored to a life that pleases him. But the lie to the devil is that strict morality is old-fashioned. No, the new morality is the old immorality. Fornication and adultery are still wrong by God's word, and there are still penalties for those things in life. The third thing is they teach that marriage is bad for you. Forbidding to marry. These false teachers have the idea that Sex is bad and that the single life is spiritually superior. They see marriage as restricting the development of their souls. In those days, it was the Gnostics which took Greek philosophy and biblical words and kind of tried to put it together in this new religion that they called Christianity, but it was not Christianity at all. And so as a result of that, they began the idea that clergymen should not be married. And so they developed the idea of uh, celibacy as being a higher state and that sexuality was essentially evil. I remember one young couple came to me and wanted to get married. We were doing the premarital counseling. They usually do a year of monthly counseling sessions leading up to a wedding. And, and I... Uh, we got uh, dealing with sexuality, the physical aspect of marriage, and uh, the, the young lady, attractive young lady, told me, she says, well, my mother taught me that uh, sex is only for procreative purposes. It's only when you're going to have a baby that you have sex. And I watched the young man who was planning to marry her when she, when <laughs> she said that. 
Because I don't think that's what he was signing up for. And uh, so we went into the scriptures and we saw that, yes, uh, sexuality was designed for procreation, but it was also designed for the expression of love and unity between a husband and a wife, that bond, and that God created sexuality. In our world, you think the devil created sex. The devil didn't create sex. Evolution didn't create sex. God created sex. He created it for our good. He created it to build families as part of the building of a family. He intended that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and that the church should submit to to Christ and and the wife should submit to her husband. And Hebrews 13.4 sums it up. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed, and the Greek word there is for the sex in bed. wasn't just sleeping in bed, okay? That the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. That's God's view of marriage. He says, I made it. Is it sacred? Sex in marriage is an honorable and holy thing. But those who sin against marriage by fornication and adultery and homosexual activity are those who are speaking against God's good gift of marriage. It's so weird how people don't want to get married anymore. You ever notice that? Seems like the only people that want to get married are the homosexuals. It's weird. Marriage has really fallen down. People get divorced and people say, oh, I'm so jealous of you. What? What? A low view of marriage is a demonic doctrine. And it came into the church and they had this idea of asceticism that somehow the holy people were the ones who were not married. And then finally deals with food, the big lie about food. Here's the lie about food. You are what you eat. They command to abstain from foods. And nothing will make you fear, feel more holy than being on a diet and keeping to it. Oh man, you feel so righteous. You get on that scale and you have the before and after picture, you know? And you have those really big pants, you know, that used to be way out here and now they're way in here and you feel so righteous. People feel so holy. They feel so right. And today, the secular people outside of Christ who feel the most holy are the vegans. They are so proud of what they don't eat and when they don't eat it and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, there is a fleshly appeal in this whole commanding to abstain from foods, you know eating no meat on Friday, and all these kinds of things. Now, Jesus spoke of fasting. He spoke of abstaining from food and from sexual activity in marriage as for your prayer life, and there is that voluntary aspect. But basically, this idea of using food in order to make yourself closer to God is just plain wrong. Jesus said it this way. 
It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. Wow. You say, Pastor, so I shouldn't feel guilty about binging on that chocolate on Wednesday? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you should. But just abstaining from food will not commend you to God. Colossians is clear on that. He said, both marriage and food are, to, are God's gifts to us that were intended to be received with a thankful heart and that they are made holy by the word of God and prayer. Believers ought to be thankful for marriage and all that is special about it. We are to be thankful for our food. Not to become gluttons or to be foolish with food, but to be thankful for our food. I was traveling with a missionary uh, back in 1984, and we went uh, behind the Iron Curtain at that time in Hungary, and I remember we ate a meal with a family there, and, and I, it was really nice. They prayed before they eat. They ate. Like, really long prayer. I don't know what they were saying. It was Hungarian. And then uh, we had this really nice meal, and then they prayed at the end of the meal. And I thought, that's really nice. Because, you know, you pray with a lot more knowledge uh, at the end of the meal. You know, a lot of times we're just praying that God will bless it, you know, that it'll be okay, you know. Uh, But at the end, we're truly grateful. And he said, gratefulness in our sexuality, in our marriage, there ought to be prayer of thankfulness. The family that prays together stays together. I hope you as a couple are not merely having a physical relationship, but a spiritual relationship in which you get on your knees and you pray together for each other and for your children if you have them, and you have a spiritual oneness, an emotional oneness, and a physical oneness in your marriage for which you thank God. And so food is created by God. Isn't it great that he who designed our taste buds, our digestive system, also made all this really great food? And I tell you what, you folks here, you know how to eat. You know how to eat. I've been to your church dinners. Good stuff. It's all good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But food does not commend us to God, either whether we eat it or we don't eat it. And how right it is to have a wedding at which we pray and to pray before and perhaps after our meals. Why? Because all these good things are from God. Do you see how these lies are current in our world today? How people are hung up on these things instead of following God's good will. Have you been influenced by these four lies? If so, you need to reject them and learn God's truth and meditate and practice God's truth to gratefully receive all of God's good gifts. And the greatest gift of all is the mystery of godliness himself, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us and rose again that we might have newness of life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your truth and how it destroys the lies of the devil. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light of your truth. And if there are any here today who have never admitted that they're a sinner and believed in Christ, 
I pray that today would be their day of salvation to believe and know the truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us today, Lord. Thank you. We are so grateful to be here today to listen to the words of wisdom by your servant, uh, Dan Peters. And Father, we just uh, pray, Lord, that you will be with us and direct us and guide us and uh, help us, Lord, to cling on to the preaching that was uh, taught today to us, Lord, that we will listen intently and tell others about our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. And Lord, uh, we thank you for our mission of the week, uh, Steve Johnson and uh, the outreach that he has going on in there in Greensboro. Bless him, bless that mission, and bless uh, the other 40 that are across the United States, Lord, and help uh, them to lead others to you. Fathers, help us to go today, and, uh, and like we said earlier, tell others about our Lord and Savior in Christ Jesus this week, that uh, all may inherit the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>